Can Peter, we'll just really be springboarding off that passage again this week. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Last week we started a series of messages. Let it be our goal to grow in grace this year. Let it be our goal to grow in grace. That's God's goal for you. I know you have some other goals that maybe are a little more personable. But God has a goal for your life, and that's to grow in His grace. These were the last words of the Apostle Peter recorded in the Holy Scripture. As we saw last week in chapter number 1, he was expecting to die at any time. He said, it's about time for me to put off this old tabernacle, take off this old tent, take off this old body, and put on that new body. Therefore, there's some things I want to remind you of, stir up your remembrance of. But he ends uh, this, this letter, the general epistle, went to all the churches at the, in the day, with this admonition, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We see several things in that small passage of Scripture. Number one, He admonishes us to grow in grace that we might grow in knowledge, that we might grow in an experiential knowledge, not in an informational knowledge, but in an experiential knowledge. In other words, that we might experience everything that God has for us in this life. There is so much that we leave on the table, as it were, in the Christian life, either because we are ignorant of its existence or unwilling to embark upon its reality. But Peter's saying, man, learn about this thing called grace. It was more than just that which saved you. Yes, it's great to know that God has pardoned you by His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God and not of works lest any man should boast. Yes, the gift of God's grace as it pertains to the security of His salvation is a wonderful gift. But that's just the jumping off point. There is so much more about grace to be experienced, and, and you ought to be able to grow in grace. But before you can grow in grace, you must receive the gift of grace. And last week, we kind of set that foundation, the gift of His amazing grace. And just kind of re revisited that and reminded ourselves that it was the gift that purchased our pardon. But it did more than purchase our pardon. It was the gift of eternal life that not only for, for, uh, freely forgave me and fully forgave me, but forever forgave me. I am secure in my salvation. I am glad I am not one of those who wakes up every morning not knowing whether or not he's still saved. I tell you what, that would not lead to the peace the Bible talks that a Christian ought to have in life. Of all the things we should never worry about, it's where we're going when we die if we've received the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.21 last week, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The reason I'm secure in my salvation is not based on my righteousness. Even the Apostle Paul said, Not having mine own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The whole issue of grace is that God is willing to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and in turn take the punishment for your sin. What a deal. That is indeed a gift of grace. And so it is, a, it is the gift of eternal life, but it is also the gift of a new life. As we looked in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we saw that, first of all, there's a new passion in life, and that's the love of Christ that constrains us. But we also saw there was a new person in Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know, when I got saved, I didn't just get a certificate that says, okay, present this at the pearly gates. No, he gave me a new life to live, a new passion inside of me, a new person I be began to become. But he also gave me a new purpose, a new purpose. And he goes on to say in that chapter, for you're ambassadors. We're ambassadors. Now, we all have different gifts and different callings, but everybody's an ambassador. We're all representative of, of the grace of Jesus Christ in this lifetime. And we are to share that grace with other people. And so we have, we have a goal to grow in this grace, to continue to experience this passion and this new person and this new purpose. But in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, he would go on to say, Now therefore being workers together with him, receive not the grace of God in vain. Okay, you're, you're an ambassador now. You're a new creature. Now, you've got this new passion. Make sure it doesn't go to waste. And so we went on from the gift of his amazing grace to the gift of his availing grace. What do we mean by the, the, the gift of his available grace? I'm sorry, his available grace. Well, as he goes on to say in that next chapter, that we are to in all things approve ourselves to be the ministers of God. And he talks about some difficulties there in trials, in tribulations, in pain, in persecutions, in weakness, in weariness. He said in all things we are to approve ourselves to be the ministers of God. Listen, as ambassadors, people know who we represent. And God says, now, I've given you a new life. But this life is going to have some difficulties. It's going to have some troubles. But let me share this with you. It's an opportunity to draw upon my grace. And as we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, that was the great lesson that the Apostle Paul learned. When he prayed three times that God might remove the thorn in his flesh. How many of you got a thorn in your flesh right now? I'm not talking about the one sitting next to you. I'm talking about you got a thorn in your flesh. Something that constantly just they just pains you. It may be emotional, it may be spiritual, it may be relational, it may be physical. And you've asked God to, to remove it. And he hasn't. Paul realized if God isn't answering this prayer, he's wanting to use this thing in my life. And he learned that great truth. When he heard the Lord Jesus speak these words, and they're the words of the Lord Jesus. If you have a, a, a red letter edition of the Bible, these are written in red. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul went on to say, this grace not only made me strong enough to endure this thorn, it caused me to embrace this thorn. It's caused me to embrace it. 
He says, therefore, I will take pleasure. He didn't say, therefore, I will put up with. He says, therefore, I will take pleasure in mine infirmities, in mine afflictions, in mine persecutions. That the power of God might rest upon me. He learned the truth about available grace. How it must pain the heart of God when He allows something painful to come into our life and watch us put up with it and watch us suffer with it and never seek to obtain the grace that He designed for us to draw upon. Now, I'm the same way. I'll moan and groan for a week before I finally start asking God, will you help me? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I'll pop the Advil before I pray. I, I mean, we're just that kind of a creature. I mean, we, we, we always want to be self-sufficient. But the whole goal of the Christian life in growing in grace is not being self-sufficient, it's learning how to be Savior-sufficient. And so when we're talking about growing in grace, it's being Savior sufficient, and as He is sufficient in our life, we get to know Him more, and we get to know Him better. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, how do you... I can't, I can't remember without singing it. Precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. That's what grace is all about. I haven't always been a willing participant in my growth in grace. And so God brings some things into my life that cause me to have to trust Him. Because remember, as we saw, shared last Sunday night, we're in a fishbowl. If you're a professing child of God, this world is watching you. They may be mocking, they may be ridiculing, but rest assured, they're watching. And it says they see this grace in our life. They know what we have is real. I've shared with you my two brothers. They, they both ridiculed me and mocked me much after I got saved. But both of them came to me at different times and said, I want what you have. They saw God work in my life and said, I want what you have. They saw I didn't need the drugs anymore. They saw I didn't need the alcohol anymore. They saw I didn't need the sinful life anymore. They said, I want what you have. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be these vessels of grace. But to be a vessel of grace, we've got to grow in grace. And as we grow in grace, then we get the opportunity to minister that grace to others. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, as we have received the gift, so let us minister one, one to another the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. In other words, grace has more to do than just the security of our salvation. And it has more to do than just the sufficiency of His strength. There's another facet to God's grace. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. We call this His supernatural supply. Let's take a look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. Starting in verse number 6, we'll read verses 6 through 8. But this I say, 
He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now the word bounty and bountifully and abounding is very prevalent in just that short passage of Scripture. It means over and above. And God is inviting here, through the Apostle Paul, the Corinthian church to enjoy abounding grace. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, oh boy, here we go. He's going to talk about giving. Well, certainly I am. Because that is the primary context of the scripture. But if we stop there, we have missed the greater principle. What Paul is doing is he's just taking a principle of God's grace and applying it to one area of life. So certainly, yes, the context is in giving. Because this is one of the ways that we can grow in grace is that we learn that through our giving. But it is not the extent of what this passage is dealing with. In fact, let's go back to chapter number 8. In chapter number 8, in verse number 1, he's explaining to this church at Corinth how this grace was at work in another church. Actually, several churches that were found in Macedonia. One of the churches of Macedonia was the church at Philippi, to whom Paul wrote the, the letter to the Philippians. But notice he says in verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, let's just stop here and say this. What Paul has just described about these churches, these are people that are still amazed at God's grace. But they aren't just amazed at God's grace. They have found the grace that's available. The Bible says that they were in great affliction. And because they accessed God in that affliction, that God returned to them an abundance of joy. Isn't that what the scripture promises us? My brethren, count it all. When you enter into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect worth, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Whatever you're going through, God's going to fix it. Understand that He doesn't just want you to endure, He wants you to embrace. He wants you to learn how to access this grace. And so these churches here are obviously under some kind of affliction, probably some kind of a persecution. And he says, you know what? They're the most joyful people I know. 
And let it be known here that probably the most joyful Christians on the face of this earth are not in America. I'm looking out there and I can tell you that right now. And I haven't been out of the country but one time. So I, I'm not an authority on this. But I read. I read and I hear stories. And I talk to missionaries. And I, but even the, even the one time I went out. I went to China with Brother Thrift for a couple of weeks. And visited the underground churches there. Boy, those people, they don't have much. But they have the joy of the Lord. They get one day off a year, a lot of them get one day off a year. That's Chinese New Year. Guess what they did with their one day off a year? They spent it in church, listening to a guy like me. I preached a total of four hours in that one day. And they kept saying, could you keep going? Now, I've never heard that come out of y'all. <laughs> when we left, they said, would you please come back? And they weren't just saying it to me. They were saying it to the other men who came and ministered to them. But you opened the word of God, man. They were just into it. Their song services, we couldn't sing out loud like we did this morning. But I tell you what, you had to sing in whispers because your neighbors would report you because you meet in houses. You meet in a small apartment. And, and, and we're talking about 40 people in a, in a two-room condo. You know, you got people around the corner and everybody's straining their ear to listen. But when they sing, it's, it's, it's too whispered. But man, there's such a passion in it. They can't carry their Bibles out openly. You know me, I want to I I give a little unction out there. But I had to keep my voice down. But these were people that were filled with the joy of the Lord constantly. They don't have what you and I have. Their prospects are, are, are persecution around every corner. But they're still amazed by grace. And they've learned how to access the gift of of available grace. Not just to endure, but to embrace whatever difficulties are in their life. But here we can see, in Second in Corinthians, he says this, how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and the deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. He says, you know what? They don't have much. But that didn't stop them from giving. It hasn't stopped them from giving because they understand grace. This was the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Look in verse number 3. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power. Paul kind of stops himself there in mid-sentence. He said they did all they could. No, they didn't do all they could. They did more than they should. Now, if you think this morning I'm going to beat you up about giving, you're wrong. Number one, our church is a good giving church. As to who gives, I don't know. It's not my business to know. The reason I don't preach on giving very much is because, number one, I don't have to. But I understand this about giving. If your people are growing in grace, they're giving. That's why I, I constantly try to, try to teach you and try to preach messages that help you grow in the Lord because if you grow in the Lord, you're not going to have a problem with giving. 
as every man purposes in his heart, as the scripture says. You're not going to have a problem because you'll understand. You'll have this grace. You'll have this power and this desire to do the will of God concerning giving in your life. But notice what he goes on to say. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Now what the context here is they're taking up an offering for the saints at Jerusalem because the persecution at Jerusalem is ferocious. You get saved, you lose your job. That was it. If you worked for another Jewish man and you got saved, you lost your job. If you were renting a place to live, you lost your place to live. And so they were receiving an offering to take to the saints of Jerusalem. And Paul is saying one of the churches who could have very easily excused themselves from participating, at least participating to any great measure, was the church that outdid what they should have done. And there's no other word that can describe why other than grace. There was something at work in them. They were still amazed by grace. They were in affliction. They could have said, we've got our own problems. But they didn't. They saw a need. And God moved upon their hearts. And the reason he could move upon their hearts is because they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. Here's the key. They had no strings on their own life. Here's the key to all grace, by the way. You've got to learn to let go. He that seeks to save his life shall lose it, but he that will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Here were some people who understood that if I give myself first to God, then God's got everything I have. And by the way, he owns everything we are anyway. The Bible says he has purchased us with his blood. Paul never let himself forget that. Therefore, he called himself constantly a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I was bought lock, stock, and barrel by the blood of Jesus. And I have nothing of my own. God puts things in my hands, but they're held loosely because he may have use for them. Now, once again, we read on. He says this, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Here was their motivation. Not that Paul would brag on them. Not that they could boast upon themselves. These were people that were so given to God, they wanted to make sure they were always on board with what God was doing in their life. And when God revealed to them, look, I want you to have a part in this, they said, amen, let's do it. And they gave of themselves to the Lord, but they gave themselves to the apostles by the will of God. They, they said, Paul, you have absolutely no say-so in this matter. We're giving to this offering. You see, Paul tried to kind of talk them out of it. They say, now, Brother Parker, why don't you talk us out of things like that? 
I am not here to talk anybody into anything and I'm not here to talk anybody out of anything. I'm here to try to help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that there might be glory unto Him both now and forever. That's what the Bible teaches us that when we can glorify God now we will glorify Him in eternity. If you're not glorifying God now you'll have no glory to offer Him in eternity. What is our glory? It is but our crowns. It is but what God was able to do with our life and do through our life. And it's all because of grace. And so the Apostle Paul here says, you know, we, we kind of tried to talk them out of it, but they had had none of it. They said, Paul, this isn't your decision. It's not even our decision. This is God's will. And don't dare try to talk us out of doing God's will. You know, I've had some people over the years that come and say, you know, Brother Parker, I want to do this. And, you know, part of me wants to say, well, you know, but I've learned to say this, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. And that's what this church was trying to do. Verse number six says, insomuch that we desired Titus, that, he, as, <coughs> that as he had begun, so would he also finish in you the same grace also. What's he talking about? He's talking about a grace. Abounding grace. You see, they weren't just responding to a need. They were responding to a promise. They were responding to a principle. If God's will is that we have a part in this, then God has a plan to bring it back to us. The principle is very simple. Whatever you sow, you reap. If God orders you to sow it, it's because he purposes that you should reap it. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come rejoicing, bringing his what? His sheaves with him. And we talk about that as being witnessing. Yes, it is. That's investing. Anything you do by the will of God and the grace of God has a payback. And in, unless you prove that over and over and over, unless you have put it to the test, you can't understand it. But you'll never grow in grace. And so, yes, the context is about giving our treasure here. It's about how grace affects our giving and how they chose to experience abounding grace through their giving. In fact, he goes on to say in verse number 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. He said, you know what? This is how our Lord did it. It's all about grace. You know why Jesus was willing to go to the cross? Because by giving his one life, he would save the life of many. That he would be the firstborn of many brethren. You see, the Lord and the triune God in the heavenlies had the angels around them, created angels who worshipped them. But he had no brethren. 
I had the privilege of having two brothers. Being carnal and sin-laced creatures, we fought a lot. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have given them up for nothing. We always started playing with each other, but then, you know, it, in the end of it, one of us would end up kicking the ball down the street, and the other one would end up punching him in the shoulder. And it's good to have a brother. The Bible says that a brother is born for the day of adversity. When all is said and done, your brother's going to come and help you. The, the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says what about friends? He that hath friends must what? Show himself friendly. This is a principle that's in every area of life. It's just in this particular passage, he's dealing with giving. But we possess many things in our life. And I use the word possession lightly because we possess them in the sense that God says, look, I'm going to put them in your hands. Now I'm going to give you instruction on how to use them. And yes, it does involve our treasure. God has a plan for us to abound in the grace of giving by experimenting with treasure. That's what he calls it. He calls it an experiment. In fact, notice in verse number 13 of chapter number 9, while the experiment of this ministration... <laughs> You know God wants you to experiment? He wants you to run experiments. Well, what is the purpose of experiments? It's taking that which is theory and making it provable. God wants you to experiment. If he gives you a truth, he says, now, you can know this truth, but you won't, you won't really believe this truth unless you experiment with it. Unless you actually put it to the test. Unless you actually see it work. And then you'll be convinced. So the context is revealing a principle concerning all that we have to give. It is the law of sowing and reaping. And first of all, it involves our treasure. Let's just take a look at a couple of verses here. Malachi 3. Ah! Verse number 7 starts, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? You see, the real issue here wasn't money. The real issue is these people had taken their lives and started living them for themselves. And God says, well, You know what? You need to come back. And they act like, well, Where did we leave? He said, Well, let's start here. <laughs> if you know anything about Malachi, there's a lot of issues God has with these people. This is just one of them. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye in all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. Now, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now sometimes we stop right there. But that's only half the promise. 
What's the other half of the promise? And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, do you realize that when I can't bless you, you automatically are cursed? And when you're automatically cursed, there are certain things I can't keep from you? But God, God doesn't want their money. He wants their trust. He wants them to enter into this grace so that He can show them abundant grace. Not only what He can pour out onto them, but what He can keep from them. And the reason God makes such a promise is because there's an underlying purpose to it all. What is it? The next verse tells us. And all nations shall call ye blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, I want to draw attention to your life. That's what his purpose for Israel was. But you know what? He had to get them to grow in grace. But rather than growing in grace, they were growing in greed. And not only did it take the blessing off of their life, but it prevented God from protecting them from whatever Satan wanted to do. But the real tragedy is that the nations all around them said, man, their God doesn't do much for them. God just wants somebody to shine through. God just wants somebody to bring attention to Him through what He is able to do for them. And do through them. And that's the whole reason we are to grow in grace. When David wanted to build God a temple, a house, God said, I didn't ask you to build me a house. <laughs> if I had a need, I wouldn't even tell you. <laughs> Whatever needs I might have, there's no way you can meet them. What God wanted was David's heart. And so it involves our treasure. Verse Malachi 3, it talks about obeying God with what is His. That's the first step of learning the grace of giving. Number two, honoring God with what we have. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs 3. Verse number 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and merit to thy bone. So here in the context here, it's, it's about, look, do things God's way. It's beneficial to you to do things God's way. But notice in verse number, number 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits." Of all thine increase. Now he's not, he's not saying the same thing in both parts. The first fruits of all thine increase is, is the tithe. That's what God was talking about in Malachi 3. Honoring the Lord with our substance means making sure that what we do with what we have left doesn't dishonor him. You with me? It would be foolhardy for a person to honor the Lord with his tithe and then take what he has left and do something dishonoring to the Lord with it. 
And that's why I'm convinced there are some people who, who, who practice the, 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 the commandment of, of bringing their tithe to the Lord, but then they, they think, okay, uh, that, that gives God off my back. Now, now I can do anything I want to and expect God to bless that. He can't. He goes on to say, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth burst out with new wine. And so it involves our treasure, obeying with what God, uh, obeying God with what is his, honoring God with what we have. But it goes beyond that. Here's where grace giving is. Investing for God what we have. And so we go back to second. <coughs> Chronicles, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. And let's look at that verse again. Verse number six, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Paul isn't talking about tithing here. He's saying if God gives you an opportunity to invest in something, You'd be wise to invest in it. Abounding grace is a principle. And he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give. Now, let me just stop here. The Bible says not grudgingly. nor of necessity, for God loves us the cheerful giver. And whether it's your treasure or some of the other elements that we'll be looking at, your talent, your time, if you're giving it grudgingly, God doesn't want it. If you came to, if you came to church this morning grudgingly, you didn't do God a favor. And you probably didn't do the preacher a favor either because you came in and grieved the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've got to go to church. Well, you know, we're running five minutes behind. Uh, well, we'll skip Sunday school. By the time I get my donut, my coffee, and, and it's going to be 20 after and hate walking. Let, come on. God asked for a day out of seven. Just embrace it joyfully. So the day that the Lord hath made is a day I don't have to go to work. It's a day I can be with the best and greatest people on the face of the earth. It's a day I don't have to do anything but sit. I have a Bible open in my lap. It's the day I get to go home and eat lunch with my family and take a nap. Not grudgingly, nor in necessity. Not grudgingly, not out of guilt. You know, if I made you feel guilty this morning, I apologize because I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want you to desire grace. And it's not to be out of greed either. That's what the prosperity preachers preach. You know, you give to me, and God will give you this. 
So there are people that will respond to those appeals because they, their eye isn't on giving to God. Their eye is on getting something back. And then they get disillusioned when God doesn't honor their ill-motived giving. So it's not grudgingly. It's not out of guilt. It's, 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 it's not out of greed. It's not out of vainglory. It's not to be seen of men, as Jesus said. When you give your alms, give your alms in secret. And your heavenly Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But it is a trigger. It is a trigger to abounding grace. It's based on a principle that God incorporated into all living things. And that is the, 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 the law of sowing and reaping. That law was in force before Adam sinned. And even though the curse came upon the earth, it was such a powerful force that seedlings still produce fruit. And farmers still by faith take, take their corn seed and put it in the ground with the expectation that it's going to come back 40, 60, 100 fold. Aren't you glad farmers have at least as much faith as we ought to have? Aren't you glad that they still uh, uh, breed their cattle and, and, and breed their hogs and, and uh, whatever else they got to breed? Because they understand that all living things have the potential to increase if the conditions are met. You can have a bag of seed, but if it stays in the bag, it isn't going to increase. The Bible tells us in Luke 6.36, let's turn there, we'll get as far as I thought I would today, but... I want you to see this principle. Luke 6, 36. Where is Luke? Come here, Luke. Verse number 36. It says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. And he said, What's that got to do with sowing and reaping? Follow me. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Would you rather sow mercy and receive mercy or sow judgment and reap judgment? Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Why? You're going to get what you give. Are you with me here? See, this principle isn't about money. It's about the principle of life. If it's going to increase, if it's going to grow, it has to go through investment. You want mercy? Invest mercy. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Now, I'm a person who needs a lot of mercy and a lot of forgiveness. So I can't afford to quit sowing it. Now, he hasn't broken context here. Notice what he says next. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, running over, I'm sorry, shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Now yes, primary application there is to finances, but it is not 
the exclusive application. He's talking about anything that's in his will. It's his will that you forgive people. It's his will that you don't judge people. It's his will that you don't condemn people. It's his will that you be merciful to people. He says whatever you give is what you're going to get. But what you're going to get is going to be so much more than you give. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You see, this principle of abounding grace applies to everything. It applies to our treasure. Now, I don't know where you are in your obedience to God in this area. I don't need to know. If you need counsel, I'll give you counsel. I can just tell you, over the years, I've proved God over and over. God has been more generous to me than I have been to Him. As a very young Christian, I began to learn how to give with the motivation of just wanting to see God work in my life and work He did. Never asked for a promotion, never asked for a raise, never asked for a position. But they have been laid in my lap over and over and over again. This isn't a boast, but some of the men in this church will tell you, who know, that I've turned down raises. You said, that's crazy. No, it's not. There are times, there are times our church was, you know, going through some tight times. The last thing I need to do is take a raise. God's been good to me. And if they'd have forced upon me, I'd just given it back. Written it off my taxes. He says, is that, is that a boat? No, it's not a boat. I'm telling you, God is good for his word. But the best and most clearest way you can prove this is through the tangible things of your treasure. Because if you'll learn that God will be a, a, a sufficient supernaturally in that area, then you will learn that you can invest everything you have for God. Because of everything you have, your treasure means the least to him but it means the most to us. But God also wants you to invest your talent. And he wants you to invest your time. And of all three of those, no matter what you think, the most valuable thing you have is time. That's the most valuable thing you have. It's not your treasure. But you can get to the point where you can give God your time. And we'll talk about what that means. How do you give God your time? Well, certainly showing up here this morning gives God time. But this is just one hour. Seven minutes. My wife says, you sure have been letting them out early. I said, because they're listening quick. But we'll stop there. I just want to entice you that there is a principle called abounding grace and he is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. You see God's willing to bless what you give him but he's got so much more he's planning to do. Let's bow our heads.